This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. How can God use both our weaknesses and our courage to bring the gospel to a dying world and also understand the needs of others? Well, my next guests know all too well what it is both to be bold and to be broken, and they recognize that some of our everyday struggles can be the strongest tools that the Lord uses to bring about his purposes. So joining me now, real estate moguls and former professional baseball players, David and Jason Benham. Their latest book is called Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and earth. David and Jason, great to have you here. How are you guys? We are doing well, Janet. Such an honor to be with you. Yes, it is. Well, it's great to talk to you guys. And of course, when I was flipping through your book, I was reading your account of what happened. uh, And I always feel terrible about it. Every time we talk about what HGTV did to you guys, I think, oh, you know, they used that old (laughs) interview, David, that you and I did. And and that was used to to spike your reality show. Once again, I want to apologize because that was a lousy thing and a raw (laughs) deal that you got. It's all your fault. Uh, No, I... We know this struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, and authorities of darkness. So we understand this is a spiritual battle, and you had nothing to do with it. You were just a catalyst to get it moving. (laughs) Well, I look at how you guys have been doing the last several years, and sometimes I think to myself, Lord, you knew exactly what you were doing, because look how, how much of an impact you guys have continued to have in the wake of that. Yeah, we're really thankful for that. You know, and it's interesting, Janet, as we travel the country since we've gotten fired by HGTV, and we are watching um, right before our very eyes the unraveling of civil society. We're, we're seeing um, things. It, it's a destabilization. And, you know, we've got teenage kids. We're around a lot of young kids. We speak in colleges and stuff. And right now, anxiety, depression, these things, drug abuse, are at all-time highs amongst the next generation. And so we're, Jason and I are saying, you know, these kids, they need us to step in and speak the truth and speak it in love. That's why we wrote the book Bold and Broken, and that's why we're so passionate about this next generation. We don't want to see them uh, struggle with all of these things that they're struggling with. So it's vital that we step in and be bold right now. Absolutely. Well, going back to that particular incident, not that I want to belabor the point, but just so listeners can benefit from your experience, how would you say that whole situation with HGTV taking away your show affected you and in effect broke you a little bit at that time? Well, this is Jason speaking. What I could tell you is that God taught us how to sit loose to our dreams and how to die to our dreams. You know, because when when HG came to us and said they were going to put us in millions of homes, it it resurrected a dream inside of us where we thought, wow, they're going to give us a platform. I mean, just look at the Gaines family yeah. and the platform that Chip and Joanna have now. They Chip uh, HGTV was bringing us up right alongside with them. And they just happened to pilot their show a few months before our show was going to pilot. And uh, when 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 we got fired before our, our first episode even aired, it basically just squashed 
the, the potential of having any type of platform like that. But God taught us to die to our dreams. And what, what we learned from that was when God puts something in your hand, like a platform or provision or whatever it is, that you're supposed to hold it with an open hand. Mm-hmm. If you grab a hold of it, then that thing becomes your idol. You become enslaved by that thing you're not willing to let go of. Sometimes I think about a pastor with a congregation, and they won't preach certain messages for fear of offending their congregation. Well, then they are now enslaved to their congregation. You've got to hold that congregation with an open hand. If it was a dream of yours as a pastor to build a big church, hold it with an open hand, which is to let God define the result. You simply be, be faithful right where you are. So that's what we learned through that time with HGTV. That is excellent. Such a good lesson for everybody. So when you talk about being raised to be fighters, which is something you guys say in your book, how has that affected your ability to stand for the Lord today, regardless of what's going on? And our dad, this is back to David again, the, the, the smarter twin, but when we, we, <laughs> we write chapters in this book about being bold and broken and, and boldness, uh, one of the really important things is our dad taught us to be fighters, not physical fighters, but spiritual fighters, willing to fight for truth and defend the time-honored values that Christ has handed down for generations. And uh, and it's really important that we see things and we we are not absorbed by self, that we're willing to make sacrifices. Our generation and the next generation uh, behind us, and then the generation now Z, uh, they really haven't had to make any sacrifices. We look at the greatest generation in America and all the sacrifices they had to make to defend our freedoms. And, and so we we needed to be raised this way so that we could see that the spiritual battles are greater than ourselves, that we can get so self-absorbed in this in this nation today because we're so prosperous as a people, especially in the Christian church. We have incredible prosperity. So we have to be willing to say no to self, make a sacrifice and enter the spiritual fight over truth in the culture. Amen. Now, this is almost an oxymoron from some people's point of view. How can you be both bold and broken? If you're broken by your sin, if you understand that you are in need of God's grace, if you're going through a difficult trial or some kind of suffering, how does bold go together with broken simultaneously? For some people, I'm sure that's a question they have. Yeah, absolutely. And this is David speaking again. But by the word broken... Our dad used to teach us. He would say, boys, only those horses willing to be broken by their master are fit to pull the king's chariot. Mm -hmm. The rest are left to pasture. So brokenness means you're in the game, not out of it. It means that you're submitted to God. It means that you recognize it. When we all sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, that's the most politically incorrect song you can imagine. But we understand our own brokenness. Now, standing upon that, that Christ has saved us, we now need to boldly proclaim the gospel, boldly stand for the values of the Christian faith. So it's boldness and brokenness working together. And we we write a chapter in there about the tale of three Peters, and we talk about how if you're bold but not broken, you become a bully. Yeah. And we don't want to be a bully. Right. But if you're broken but not bold, you become a bystander. And that's where a lot of people in the church are today. They're just sitting on the sidelines. They're not engaged. But when you are both bold and broken, you can become a bridge that connects heaven to earth. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, how do you build bridges? I know you tell some stories in your book about, for example, people you sit next to on airplanes, how you engage in or or not engage in. You tell one story about how you didn't necessarily. Um, But how is that a bridge building activity, would you say? Jason, maybe you can speak to that issue of how you can just start conversations with non-Christians just as you're traveling around the country. Well, the beauty of being a bridge that connects heaven to earth is first seeing that everyone that you come in contact with is most likely disconnected from the God who created them. And so when you recognize that, then you can always be asking the Holy Spirit for the opportunity to make that connection. And, you know, we're, we're business guys. So for us, that means do good business first. <laughs> right. You know, right. For, 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 for the mom who's maybe staying at home and she goes to the grocery store and she sees this, this same... Uh, grocery checkout clerk continually, you know, every single week, the idea is make a relationship with that young man or young woman, find out their name, find out, you know, who their family is, what they're struggling with, or if they're going to school, and then just ask if you can pray for them or whatever. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance, and He'll give you the, the ideas on what you can talk about. And especially like for David and I, we travel a lot, so we sit on planes. What we see that as is our fishing hole. We've got a friend of ours, Who's, who's almost a professional fisherman, and he's, he always knows the, the right places to go, the right lures to use, the right tackle to bring with him. He always knows all that stuff. I've got another buddy of mine who, spiritually speaking, he defines his fishing hole. He's a contractor. He goes to the local Lowe's, and he says, that's my fishing hole. <laughs> I'm going there to minister to, the, to the, the, the person over in the lumber section and the hardware section, and he gets to know their names and all of these things. And, and we wrote about those two guys in our book. So it's just simply being faithful right where God is placing you, knowing that you can be that bridge between heaven and earth for them. Well, and you think about the fact that there are so many people who are out and about on any given day who might not have another opportunity to hear the gospel or to hear from a Christian who could open that door to considering the role of the Lord in their lives. I mean, this is such incredibly critical stuff. We're going to come back after this break. Bold and Broken is the name of the book by David and Jason Benham. We'll return right after this on Janet Meffer Today. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the South and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing a emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Shana was one of those kids who had never heard about Jesus until God used Heart for Lebanon to give her the good news of eternal life. When she was given the assignment in Heart for Lebanon's educational program to write about a defining moment in her life, Shana chose to write this. 
We were in Syria and we knew nothing about Christ the Lord. When we came to Lebanon, I joined Heart for Lebanon School. It is there where I got to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that whosoever worships him will have eternal life. Shana had that opportunity to hear about Jesus because people just like you were willing to support the work of Heart for Lebanon, but they can't do it without your help. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, that number to call, 888-247-5499. A gift of $58 helps one family right now. Call 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. My guests, David and Jason Benham, they're out with a new book called Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth. David, I think it was you who was speaking about, before we went to that break, the fact that we want to really focus in on the next generation. And we're all parents, and so we have a great love for kids in general, and our own kids in particular. But for example, there was a Barna study that came out not too long ago showing that for Generation Z, only 4% of that generation has a biblical worldview, which says something about what the church isn't doing in terms of preparing the next generation to be the salt and light that we need to be in our society. What do you think is important for us to take away from those statistics that increasingly, as you get lower and lower and lower on the age scale, you're finding fewer and fewer who have a biblical worldview? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, one, we have to take a, a hard look inside at ourselves first, and we write chapters about this. We actually have 28 chapters, 28 different stories of very practical ways of how we can be salt and light to be that bridge. Uh, but we have to take a look at ourselves in the church first. Many of us are saved, but not salty. Hmm. I mean, we're, we're very much like Lot. He was <laughs> saved, he was vexed in his righteous soul, but he wasn't salty, and his wife became in her death what he should have been in his life. And so we then need to choose to be salty, which means that we need to sacrifice self, get rid of self, and begin to minister. And, and we write a chapter in our book, um, and we talk about there's a, a young, the next generation, our heart breaks for them. Because, I mean, if you think about it, it's, we have destabilized in this country, in this culture, what it means to be a human being. Yes. The things that have been stable for generations, for millennia of history, we are now destabilizing them and calling people haters and bigots because they talk about the stable gender or, they, or stable marriage or stable human sexuality or whatever it may be, stable life in a mother's womb. And so they're filled with anxiety. There was this young man, Jason and I, we, we shop. Uh, my, my wife and I actually shop at Earth Fair. So I've been going in and out of Earth Fair, and I saw this young man at the cashier, and I just felt like I needed to say Jesus loves you, you know? And, hmm. and so I said, hey, buddy, has anybody told you Jesus loves you today? And he just kind of looked at me a little odd. And I just put my hand on his shoulder, smiled at him. He must have been, he was 18 years old. I end up leaving, don't think a thing about it. Two weeks later, this young man, who I did not recognize at the time, showed up at my gym. 
and he's kind of looking at me, and, and, and we're working out. We're at the CrossFit gym, so it's group uh, session. And uh, when the session is over with, he comes over to me and very nervously says, hey, um, do you mind if I talk to you for a second? <laughs> and I still didn't recognize him. And then he tells me, he says, you know, I've been considering suicide. I, I really am depressed, and I just feel like I have no hope. And boom, instantly my eyes were opened, and I remembered. I said, do you, did you, do you work at the earth fair? He said, yes, you told me that Jesus loved me. Now, listen, I just simply told him Jesus loved him. I never thought a thing about it. Two weeks later, he found me in the gym. He wow. found me Wow! because I was salty. Now, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not always that faithful. I want to be more faithful, and hopefully this book will encourage the readers as well as it really encouraged me as I wrote it to be more faithful every day. Well, this kid turns around. He got his life right with Jesus. I took him to lunch. We still stay in contact. He's got my number. I've got his. I've helped him with his college tuition. I mean, all of these things. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I just say these are very practical ways to step in and be salt to this next generation, even if we lose the quote-unquote culture war on media or any of this other stuff for a moment. We will win down in the grassroots into the hearts and lives of these young kids when we are salty. Boy, that's so important. And, you know, when you mentioned the destabilization of society, that's another big problem in society is the suicide rate. And it makes sense, though, because if you have a whole culture that is teaching kids, you came out of the primordial ooze, you're just going to die and you're going to go back into the dust and your life meant nothing. And it's all, you know, for, you, you, you know, really, you don't have any sort of purpose in life. You don't have any sort of meaning in life. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that there would be a lot of kids with no hope because what hope is there if that's all your life is? That's exactly right. And this is Jason speaking. And when you remove boundaries, you remove freedom. Yeah. So these kids are being raised in bondage. They think they're free because they feel as though they can define whatever truth is is to them. But in reality, they're in bondage and, and it gives them no hope. And, and they've got, it's just such a void in their life. And so David and I, wrote a book in there called Red Light, Green Light. And we actually, we wrote a chapter in our book called Red Light, Green Light. And we talked about how on any given day, when you go out, I mean, Janet, you got up this morning, you took off, you probably drove to your studio. On your way there, you stopped at red lights and you went at green lights. I mean, green means go, red means stop. Now there's a bunch of different people and different cars that have different beliefs as you, but all of you agree on on one thing, and that's the traffic laws. You're going to agree on those things. Right. If we remove those traffic laws, and if you felt like red meant go and green meant stop, and, and because you felt like it, you did that, we would have utter confusion, we'd have chaos, and nobody would be on the streets. Yeah, that's that's right. what's happening today to these young kids, especially in our universities. We're telling kids, you can define what's true for you. And in reality, it's ended up in chaos for them, and they're wanting to kill themselves. So that's one of the reasons why we wrote the book. We want kids to read this and see there is a defined truth. It's objective, and God defines it. Well, you know, going back to what we were talking about, your HGTV debacle at the beginning of the interview, I know that you got a lot of pushback. You got a lot of insults and threats and all the horrors that come when you're caught up in that kind of a firestorm. Did you happen to have any people come to you and say, your stand inspired me, and and I want to stand like you do for Jesus? Yes, uh, this is David, and we got, you know, it was well over a million different people, I mean, reached out to us. And when I say, I mean, those are literal numbers. We actually had 
analytics from this uh, PR company that went in and 30 million Google searches on our names and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. we had so many people, an overwhelming majority, I'd say over 90% were people that were saying that very thing. That's That's why we feel so passionate about writing this book. Like, okay, yeah, that's how you feel. Now boldly speak. Oh, and by the way, if you're boldly going to speak, make sure that you're broken because you recognize everybody is broken in need of God's grace. And if you're not broken over your own sin, if you're not submitted to God in your own life, then don't even step in boldly and speak because you're just going to be a bully. Yeah. You know, but, but make sure that you're not just sitting there broken because, hey, look, God, he takes your mess and makes it a message, makes it a ministry, makes it a masterpiece so that he can now use you as a bridge. So don't just stand on the sidelines. Well, I struggle with sin, too. No, let's get it before the Lord. Let's make things right in our own relationships, and then let's step in. So, yeah, we had millions of people reaching out to us saying that they stood with us. That's so cool. Well, and grace that is greater than all our sin. You know, as big a sinner as I am, Jesus is a greater savior. And that's the message every Christian has. And it seems to me this ties in with what you were saying about your concerns for the next generation and kids coming along and how you hope kids will really take hold of this message. It seems to me that if older Christians can model what it means to be bold and broken and to be willing to stand for Jesus Christ, even when the culture hates you, that can have a profound effect on people who are watching from a distance. That's exactly right. Some things are better caught than taught, and that's one of the things Jason and I are are desperately trying to do, is to not only inspire and equip that next generation, but to really challenge this older generation. Guys, come on. Let's be bold and broken. As a matter of fact, one of the chapters we have in there right out of the gate is about the Chicago Cubs. I don't know if you read that chapter yet. Yes, yes, yes. Simple little things like that. This man just came after me and Jason out of Chicago, younger man, and uh, really said things I didn't even know existed (laughs) uh, from a sexual perspective. It was awful. And anyway, I just, the Holy Spirit pricked my heart. And instead of trying to prove my point, I needed to win a person. So I just simply said, you're, you're responding through your pain. You're speaking through your pain. That started a conversation over Facebook Messenger for a few days. We ended up finding out that he was a huge Chicago Cubs fan. We sent him two tickets to a Cubs game front row, cool. right uh, by the on-deck circle. And he, a few days after uh, that was after we sent it to him, he, I'll never forget, he sent me a link to a Mercy Me song, which was I Can Only Imagine. And he said, I am so shocked that you guys sent that to me. I've been listening to this song for the last two days, and I have decided to walk away from my lifestyle and surrender my life to Jesus. I'm telling you, if we begin acting like this, and I'm not saying we always do it that way, that just happened to be one of our wins, (laughs) but if we begin acting like this, it every day, and the, 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 the older generation and the younger generation, we can turn this thing around. Well, that's so cool. I love that story because you would wish and hope and pray for everybody who is in that situation to turn around as that young man did. Those people who are listening, though, who say, well, that's my pastor's job. That's the Benham Brothers job. You know, I'm just a housewife or I'm just somebody driving my truck every single day. You talk about the fact that all of us, no matter what our vocations happen to be, are ministers. And and this is what the pastoral epistles talk about. We all have gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. We're all part of the body of Christ. How do we get Christians to embrace that and say, you have a role to play. You can't sit out this uh, this war that we're fighting that is not against flesh and blood. You've got to be in the game. Well, people have bought into a false dichotomy that there are professional ministers and then there are lay people. Or, you know, there's the rest of us. 
And the fact is that most of us are the rest of us. And so what we see very clearly in the book of Revelation is that we're all ministers, that we are a kingdom of priests. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a separation. That there were there were professional priests and there were lay people in the New Testament that we're all priests because Jesus, the great high priest, lives inside of us. So what David and I would say is we have an identity crisis today, mm. is that that truck driver who loves Jesus, who's walking in obedience, driving that truck, making a good living for his family, and he's doing it in obedience to the Lord and humble submission, he is just as much a minister as the full-time pastor who gets paid to speak every single Sunday. Yes. Now, they have different roles. Of course, there are different roles, but what defines the minister isn't where you're placed or how you're paid. It's about your passion and the presence of the Almighty God in your life. That's what defines the minister. And so if you recognize, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a politician, preacher, plumber, or whatever, that you are a minister on mission and your work is worship, everything is going to change for you. Very good. Well, the name of the book is Bold and Broken, David and Jason Benham. So good to talk to you guys again. God bless you. Thanks a lot. God bless you, too. Thank you for having us. You're so welcome. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We're back on Janet Mefford Today. I love God's Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And there you read about God's work in our lives, ensuring that we stand firm in Jesus Christ by putting his Holy Spirit into our hearts through faith in him, sealing his ownership on us. It's just a beautiful, beautiful verse. But what does it really mean to have have the Spirit indwelling us, and what difference does He make in our lives? We're going to talk about it today with Daniel Henderson. He has been a senior pastor for over two decades and is the president of Strategic Renewal. And today we'll be discussing his book, Transforming Presence How the Holy Spirit Changes Everything from the Inside Out. Daniel, welcome. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you, Jan. It's my privilege. Thank you. Well, as we know, God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why do you think it's important to focus on the Holy Spirit, maybe more than we often do? Well, honestly, the Christian life is impossible, uh, humanly speaking, and uh, the Lord Jesus, obviously, in his uh, final address to his disciples, told them that what would make this life possible was the promise of his indwelling presence. And so, obviously, the Holy Spirit transforms us, leads us, comforts us, empowers us, gifts us, we go on and on. Um, the Holy Spirit is the power for the Christian life. Yes, absolutely. Well, what do you think of the way that the Holy Spirit is thought of in the church today? Do you think that many Christians have a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit or a misunderstanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Uh, No doubt, Janet, as I have the privilege of traveling around the country and um, hearing sometimes what pastors say, certainly the words of songs that we sing, 
Uh, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit is more of an amorphous force than an indwelling person. Mm. In fact, Lifeway did a study and found that 56% of evangelical believers believe the Holy Spirit is a force and not a person. Ugh. And you ask yourself, why would they believe that? And unfortunately, it's because there are a lot of subtle messages, and maybe not so uh, subtle, uh, that are really making their way into our modern-day language concerning the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's right. You think about holy, holy, holy. We've been singing that hymn all of our lives, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And we, we know that that's what the Bible teaches. Why do you think it is that so many people are confused and reducing the Holy Spirit to some kind of faceless, personless force rather than the person of the Holy Spirit that the the Word of God teaches? Well, today, no doubt. I mean, we live in a consumer culture, an entertainment culture. I think many of us, and, and maybe more so younger generations, but many of us now have turned church into an event hmm. uh, more than a fellowship. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we have lots of tools. Nothing wrong with the tools, but it's uh, really dangerous to replace those tools with the reality of what the Bible teaches, where we're really seeking kind of a, an atmospheric experience. And again, songs that even almost make us think that we're going to be summonsing the Holy Spirit from the air conditioning system or something, <laughs> rather than coming into that gathering with the very indwelling presence of the Spirit in us, producing that worship from the inside out. Uh, And again, just reiterating the importance of the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit in our worship gatherings is so vital. Well, it is. So when you talk to Christians about the importance of the Holy Spirit as a transforming presence in our lives, where do you begin in explaining the role of the Holy Spirit? You touched on that a little bit ago where you talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, that, you know, Jesus went away so the Holy Spirit could come and he's comforter and he guides us into all truth and all of the other roles of the Holy Spirit that scripture mentions. But what would you say to Christians, uh, just kind of as a primer on the Holy Spirit, where do you begin in teaching Christians about the person of the Holy Spirit and his transforming presence? I like to begin with Jesus' own words. Obviously, he's the authority on the Holy Spirit. And when he gathered with his disciples, as I mentioned a moment ago in the upper room, he was very clear about what was about to happen and how the Holy Spirit would work. And one of the things that uh, we often don't realize is that when Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, uh, fireworks had to go off in the minds and hearts of the disciples because the entire Old Testament was looking forward to this new covenant reality, which, as we know, is taught repeatedly in the Old Testament, that now the the Spirit of God is going to be in people. The Word of God is going to work in people. It's not a coming and going. Right but it's an indwelling. And I always begin with that, that there is a distinctive difference between how the Spirit worked in the Old versus the New Covenant and what Jesus said concerning what that would really mean in our lives. Right. So when you're talking about that that passage that I quoted at the outset from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when the Lord talks about setting his seal of ownership on us by putting his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, how do you explain that particular reference of the Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee of what is to come. Yes, similarly, various other passages talk about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that the Spirit himself is kind of our advanced taste of ultimate uh, intimacy with God, ultimate power, ultimate, ultimate fellowship, purity, and holiness that we'll experience in eternity. And the Holy Spirit really is God's... Uh, 
you know, deposit, as you said, of eternity in our hearts by his very presence. And again, the key word in that verse is in. And as I wrote this book, Janet, I just was overwhelmed with how often the word in appears uh, with connection to the Holy Spirit. It's hmm. always about the Spirit being in us. And the more we understand that, the more, more powerfully we'll live as believers. Well, that's right. So how would you describe the role of the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian, when you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit? What begins to happen in you as a new Christian? Well, power for living, as we said earlier. You know, I love Romans 8, 11, where it says that the very Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in us to give life to our mortal body. Right. And if new believers could realize the Holy Spirit is the source of all of this promised life as New Testament believers, and then, of course, as we know, to walk in the awareness of the Holy Spirit, to live and surrender to the Holy Spirit, to be controlled, Ephesians 5.18, by the Holy Spirit— is really the secret to to an effective, fruitful, and satisfied Christian life. Yeah. Now, for those who are a little unclear on the different roles of the persons of the Trinity, why do we need the Holy Spirit? In other words, people say, well, I believe in God, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. Why do I need the Holy Spirit? What is the primary purpose of the Spirit? One of the chapters in my book, the book talks about 10 vital practices for a new experience of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the the uh, second one is that the Holy Spirit is a purpose-driven spirit. And uh, you asked the question so well, and Jesus made it clear again when he was describing this to the disciples. He said, He shall glorify me. And, you know, when you cut through all the superficial stuff of life, we are here for one purpose, and that is the glory of God. Yes. And the only way we can live according to that purpose is by the Holy Spirit, whose whose intention in everything He does is to glorify Christ in our lives and through our lives and among His people. Right. Now, now, when you're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I think, for example, about the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians 5 mentions, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Apart from the Spirit of God, would we even be able to have those godly fruits? In other words, what is the Spirit's role in producing the fruit that comes from faith in Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Well, as you said, we wouldn't have the desire even. In fact, the Bible says it's God who works, here's the word again, in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And then you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and you think about it, those are all attributes of Jesus. And they're all relational, aren't they? Love, yes, joy, yes. peace, long-suffering, jealous, goodness, faith. Those are really the life of Christ being produced by the presence of the Spirit in us to not only make us attractive to the world as we live like Jesus, but to also make us authentic with one another as we learn to relate to each other in the power of the Holy Spirit, consistent with the life and the attributes of the Lord Jesus. Right, exactly. And that's such an important point that we would never be able to produce the fruits of the Spirit apart from the Spirit. It seems almost, right. yeah, it seems completely obvious when you say it that way because they're the fruits <laughs> of the Spirit, obviously. But yeah. I think, again, this goes back to do we often consider how important the role of the Holy Spirit is in our Christian lives? There's a lot more to talk about. We're going to come back with Daniel Henderson. His book is called Transforming Presence. You're listening to Janet Meffer today, and we'll return right after this break.
Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- Five six five twenty five sixty one. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Daniel Henderson is my guest, and his book is called Transforming Presence, How the Holy Spirit Changes Everything from the Inside Out. You had mentioned, Daniel, before the break that you write in your book about the vital practices, 10 of them for a new experience of the Holy Spirit. And your first one talks about agreeing to evaluate your assumptions. What are you speaking of there, and how do people have assumptions that need to be evaluated? And, you know, Janet, probably the, the best way to describe that is to quote a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Jim Semble of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We do some traveling together. And he says, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, churches are either cemeteries or insane asylums. <laughs> That's such a, a great way to capture the fact that we tend to live on the edges, right? We, we either do things that have nothing to do with the Bible that are kind of crazy, and we blame the Holy Spirit for it. Or on the other hand, uh, we're almost afraid of the Holy Spirit. And so I think a lot of us, uh, knowing that reality, have a lot of assumptions about the Spirit, who He is, how He works, as I said earlier, even common language in some of our songs and current ideas that confuse us. And so I think we just have to start by being willing to say, what does the New Testament really say about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in my life? And be open to uh, really complying with those things for the sake of our own growth. Well, you mentioned music, and one of the other things you talk about in the book is that the Holy Spirit is such a vital presence when it comes to worshiping the Lord. Clearly, some have spoken of the Holy Spirit as this spotlight on Jesus, that he is focusing us on the glory of God, and that's who we're living for as Christians. 
Christians, but how does the Holy Spirit need to be understood in the context of worship? For example, when we're worshiping the Lord at home or if we're in church on a particular Sunday and we're singing our hymns, we're singing our praise courses, whatever we happen to be singing and we're worshiping the Lord, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in that moment? How are we to understand his work there? Yeah, John Piper actually said that congregations actually learn their theology and take it down into their soul by the songs that they sing. And you asked about music and the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I think is very dangerous today that we have kind of come into this mindset that we channel or mediate the Holy Spirit through the music, almost like we're if we the louder we sing, the more exciting the music is, the more we're going to facilitate the Holy Spirit. The only thing that mediates the Holy Spirit is the finished work of Christ. And and we don't seem to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit to sing. That's what Ephesians 5.18 says. And again, that's why I emphasize in the book the inside-out reality of the Holy Spirit, that Christ died not to sanctify atmospheres or environments or sound systems. He died to sanctify hearts. And so in my personal worship, understanding that the Holy Spirit is going to produce worship in me by explaining to me the scripture that he inspired, by pointing my mind and heart toward Christ, by taking control of my mind and emotions so that I'm 100% focused on the glorification and worship of Jesus. That's when when worship really is biblical and life-transforming. Yeah, it's so interesting when you when you think of what the Word of God says about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you look back in the Old Testament and you see the temple having existed at that time and you see the tabernacle in the wilderness and God's presence and all that. And now we're to understand as Christians that we, uh, having the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we are where God is residing. And what difference does that make? What, what practical difference do you think that makes for the average Christian? Yeah, I talk about the fact, Janet, that as a pastor, I would always get really worked up if one of my associates would get up and say, welcome to the house of the Lord. Yeah, it's so common. But it gives people this idea that the building is God's house. In fact, I was praying with some people not long ago, and a a brother before service said, thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence. And what he was really thinking is somehow God's presence is in the building. What we ought to pray is, Lord, thank you that your presence has come into us. And to think that the the Holy of Holies of the New Testament is now equated to the reality of our own hearts. And that very holy, such a key descriptor, right? Holy Spirit is in us. I think that gives us not only a, a high view of what God can accomplish in our lives, but a real sense of the power that he has put in us to, to to really make that happen. Well, yeah, and another role that the Holy Spirit plays, which I think many, many Christians will talk about this a lot, is Romans 8, 26. You had mentioned Romans 8 before, where it talks about the Spirit helping us in our weakness because we don't always know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, some people will look at that passage and say, so should I pray and just wait for the Spirit to groan, or how am I to understand the verse? <laughs> You know, that the Spirit intercedes for me. What does that actually mean? Well, again, the Spirit of God is God himself. He knows the mind of God, the will of God, the purposes of God. And uh, prayer, uh, my definition of prayer is that prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Well, the only way that's going to happen, the only way I'm going to know that abiding intimacy, the only way I'm going to have my heart changed, according to God's purposes. And of course, if you read on in Romans 8, 
you see the, the ideas of Christ's likeness, assurance of God's purpose, ultimately his glory. Well, the Holy Spirit will change our hearts as we pray so that they are aligned with God's will, God's desires, and uh, His glory. And, yeah. oh, how we need the Holy Spirit. I call the Holy Spirit our indwelling prayer tutor. Oh. <laughs> I know we all need that on a daily basis. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You also say the indwelling Spirit empowers me with sanctified affections. And you talk about enjoying the gift of biblical emotion. And I think that's interesting how you phrase that. But how would you define sanctified affections, and how does the Spirit empower me in that manner? Oh, that's so important, and I included an entire chapter on emotion, because I think that's often misunderstood, and uh, sometimes we are suspicious of someone across the aisle based on how they do or do not process emotion. Uh, but the Father has emotion scripturally. Jesus showed emotion. The Spirit of God is grieved and quenched. Those are strong emotional words. You know, the Apostle Paul had great, uh, you know, testimonies of emotion. And we need to love the Lord our God with our entire uh, body, our soul, mind, strength, and will. And so I, I believe it's important for us to realize that uh, the Spirit of God works in our emotions as well, holy emotions, not just getting excited about our team that wins a Super Bowl, of course, but <laughs> Christ-centered uh, emotions that are part of our transformation and a vital part of our expression of worship for God's glory. Yeah, they really are. What about a covenant revival? This is a phrase that you use, pursuing the hope of a covenant revival. And of course, that might not be the normal way people think of revival as being a covenant revival. But what is that exactly? And how does the Holy Spirit come into the picture of a revival or a covenant revival, as you put it? Yeah, and the specific course in the book, I talk about the New Covenant idea of revival. And you know, it's interesting, I had a very notable pastor, if I said his name, everybody would know him, who was very much attuned to the Holy Spirit, say to me one day, you know, Daniel, revival is not even taught in the New Testament. Hmm. And he is not an anti-revival guy at all. I'm a big revival guy, but he's right. The Word's not in the New Testament. And um, sometimes we have all kinds of definitions for revival, you know, a big event where everybody gets a quiver in their liver or <laughs> gathers to hear big speakers. But, you know, the best description of what we would call revival is, I think, found in Revelation, the seven churches, and Jesus had specific messages for those churches. But one message he had for every church was let him who has ears hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Yes. And uh, we, um, and uh, Norman Grubb wrote in a great book, he said, revival is basically obedience to the Holy Spirit. So in my book, I say, you know, we shouldn't be seeking after events or, you know, some collective experience as much as realizing that the more we obey the Holy Spirit, the more we're really going to experience a New Testament uh, idea of what revival really ought to be. Well, I think that's a really good point that the, the many times that the Lord references hear what the spirit is saying to the churches, because you're right, that's all over the book of Revelation. And that's really significant for people to stop and consider. You know, I'd mentioned before the role of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth, as Jesus said in John chapter 16, the role of the Bible obviously cannot be overstated. But how would you advise Christians to understand the Holy Spirit better in light of God's word and not moving away from God's word so that you begin to just attribute things to the spirit based on your emotion? That's such a vital question. And it's good to be reminded the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. 
So he is never going to work in a way consistent with what he has told us about himself. And when I read the Bible, this is such a cool thought, the author is inside of me, mm-hmm. explaining to me what he meant by what he said and how I should apply it to my life. Amen. My life. And, and of course, consistent with Ephesians 5, where it says, Be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit, is Colossians 3, where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right. And when you compare those two passages, the results are the same, singing, making melody in your hearts, yep. submitting to one another. So they clearly go hand in hand. I love it. Well, we're out of time, but Daniel Henderson with us. Transforming Presence is the name of his book, and it was so good to have you here, Daniel. Thank you very, very Thank much. You, Janet. God bless you. Thanks for joining us here on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.